Welcome to another podcast. I'm Seb Lozier and with the Olympic Games now officially underway, this week we focus all of our attention on the tennis in Tokyo. Coming up, we hear from a man with not one, but two Olympic gold medals. That is Nicola Massou. And we hear from Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who takes his place for the first time in a Spanish Olympic team. But we start with the journalist's eye. Throughout the year, Reem Aboulail probably writes as many column inches about tennis as anyone else. And during the Olympics, she'll be balancing her time as a columnist for the National in the UAE and her work with Saudi Arabia's Arab News. Rather than being on the ground and caught up in the Olympic fever like usual, though, this time, for obvious reasons, she's coming to terms with the idea of covering the Olympics from afar. It's a bit weird because actually I'm not used to being in a strange time zone when it comes to the Olympics because either I'm there or it's a bit closer. So uh, I found myself like waiting for the draw in the middle of the night and things like that. But for me personally, it's uh, it's very exciting because uh, I'm Egyptian and Egypt is sending its biggest ever delegation this year. And we have two tennis players for the first time ever. We have a tennis player in the Olympics. We have uh, two players, uh, a man and a woman. So uh, it's very exciting for me on several fronts. I was listening to a radio debate here in the UK yesterday and, um, you know, it centred around the question of whether a sport should be in the Olympics if it's not if the Olympics isn't the pinnacle event in it. And it, I think it kind of misses the point in a way about the Olympic movement and, and how global it is. Um, it's, it's not just about that, is it? To be honest, I see it both ways. I understand. I, um, for so many sports, it is the pinnacle, right? But also being included in something like this, I've seen how the tennis players who have gone this year, how excited they are as well and how different it feels for them to be part of a much bigger delegation, to be part of a much bigger team. And and, and I agree that there's something super special about the Olympics. I remember speaking to Lindsay Davenport about it and she considers her gold medal the pinnacle of her career, even though she was world number one and won multiple slams and everything. So... I personally grew up with the Olympics being something super special, irrespective of the sport. I literally switch on the TV and I watch anything. It doesn't matter that for tennis, for example, this isn't Wimbledon or this or that. So I see it both ways. I just hope that more tennis players look at it that way, look at the Olympics as as a very special occasion and see the value of it, because I feel that it's changing a little bit. The priorities of players are changing a little bit in that regard. So how will this change the life potentially of someone like Mohamed Safwat or Mayar Sharif, the, these two Egyptians who are who are competing at the Olympics? I mean, how much of a, I guess, a pedestal, a, a um, you know, a lift does that give them to represent their country on that kind of stage? For them, especially, it's huge. You have no idea how huge to the extent that they have signed a string of sponsorship deals just on the back of them qualifying because they qualified two years ago. So the anticipation has been two years because they they qualified through the African Games. And before they qualified, they didn't have these kind of sponsors. Uh, which So for them, they, are, they have a much wider audience with Egyptians. We love tennis and everything, but also the Olympics is next level. So for them personally, ever since they qualified, I can see, I can see the kind of attention they are getting. And I will see also in the next, uh, in the in the coming week. I'm sure 
uh, I will see it even more. Uh, even for, for me as, a, as someone who's covering tennis as well as other Olympic sports, the amount of requests I'm getting and, and questions I'm getting from followers to know more about them uh, has been crazy. So um, I'm very excited for them. I think it's going to be very special for them to finally get the attention they deserve. And the same for someone like Ons Jabour, I guess, who had such a massive breakthrough in, in Wimbledon. She's the only tennis player playing for Tunisia. Um, that really does put her, set her apart, doesn't it, for, for her country too. V- very, very much the, this whole representing your country. And in particular, with the Olympic hat on, I guess with, with you know a, a real drive for equality as well, because that is is an important part of the Olympic movement, I guess. Absolutely. Ons, uh, what Ons has been able to do in the last few years, honestly, you can't even put it into words because uh, Ons is showing that you can come from Tunisia, train in Tunisia, have a Tunisian coach, have a full Tunisian team and make it to the very top, right? Like she, she I mean, Ons is ranked in the race number nine at the moment. So she, the fact that she's the only one from Tunisia in tennis at the Olympics is a bit disappointing because usually Melik Jaziri is also there. But at the same time, she's inspiring, like Venus Williams said, because Venus was like, she's not, she don't limit her to just inspiring people from the region. She's inspiring people everywhere, men and women. She had, she has a very tough draw. I just saw the draw, to be honest. She's in a loaded section of the draw. But what I like about Ons now is that as Arabs, usually when we get a tough draw, we say, ah, oh, bad luck, this or that. Whereas with Ons, you actually believe she can do it, you know what I mean? Because she showed that we don't have limits and, and it's fine if she has a tough draw and she can get through it. So uh, it's big. I'm, I'm very glad that the Olympics came right on the heels of Wimbledon because she obviously became the first Arab woman to make the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. And we get to see her again do something historic, you know, so I'm, I'm excited. Changing tack a, a little bit, let's talk about some of the players in the men's draw. Um, I want to come on to talk about the top seed Novak Djokovic um, and what he can potentially do. But um, first of all, I guess we, we need to talk briefly about a number of players who aren't there and why they're not there. Um, you know, s- s- some of the, the real top players in the world have chosen not to be in the Olympics. Just quickly sh- shed some light for us on what their reasons might be. Well, I think it's a bunch of different reasons. For some of them, it's injury. Uh, Someone like Roger Federer, for example, he obviously was very keen to go to Tokyo, but he said he had a setback with the knee. For some of them, I also understand their point of view. Someone like Grigor Dimitrov, I spoke to him personally about this. He chose not to go. He's had a difficult year. He also caught COVID end of last year, recovered. Hasn't really found his form. It's been up and down. And he's like, I've been there before, and right now I have to do what's best for me, and it's not a priority. Someone like Nick Kyrgios, for example, said, I don't want to go to the Olympics when there's no fans, when I can't go watch other sports, when I can't meet other athletes. So, to be honest, there are multiple reasons, and I, can't, I don't really blame anyone at this point, just because it really has been difficult traveling from one bubble to another. Tokyo's not an easy trip, but um, we'll see. I think it's going to be exciting anyway. Yeah, and, and a major subplot to it all is what the top seed, the world number one Novak Djokovic in the men's game could do or could maintain this drive that he's got to, to achieve this this golden slam. Who for you is most likely to challenge him in that regard? Who, who are you looking to to really upset the apple cart for Novak? The short answer is no one. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Like I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation and be like, okay, speculate and say, okay, maybe Daniel Medvedev or maybe Stefano Tsitsipas, who are definitely medal contenders, right? But I definitely think that Novak is in a, in the zone at the moment and is in a position now where he's, he has so much hunger and is really, really driven by this opportunity of doing something that no man has ever done before. No one has ever won all four slams and gold except Steffi Graf. So I think that Novak's hunger for that is just going to eclipse everything else. Put into perspective what Novak Djokovic is doing in the men's game at the moment. I mean, it's reminiscent in a way of what he did back in 2011, isn't it? I actually think it's even more impressive than anything else. I mean, we've seen Novak dominate before, but he's also never won the first three slams of the year before. So this is, this is even new for him. And for me, seeing him do it at this point in his career when he's already achieved so much is unreal. Like, honestly, at the age of, what, 34? Having already spent the most weeks at number one and t- he's ticked off so many things off his bucket list. So what he's doing right now with a lot of young guys like just coming at him from everywhere and not Rafa is still around. The, the way he beat him at the French Open and then went on to win in the French Open. This is the most impressive feat, I think. Like this season for me eclipses a lot of other things that Novak has done. One of his coaches, Goran Ivanisevic, likened him recently to a, the, the movie character that you kill 27 times and he still gets up. Um, I mean, is this... I'm going to ask you that horrible question, Reem. Um, is this starting to basically shift the needle a little bit when we come to talk about the GOAT, the greatest of all time? And, and it, do you think that in itself is motivating him more than anything else in terms of the objective things that he can do? to say, look, I've done all of this and nobody else has. Yes, he has found a way to tap into exactly what drives him. And I think this is, this is his edge. Because when he did lose his motivation a little bit after completing the career slam in 2016, I felt like he told himself, I, I promised myself I'm never going to go through that again, right? He, he found his triggers. He found, he found everything that drives him. And he's very open about it. Not many people can sit and say, I want to be considered the GOAT or I want to have the most slams and this and that. But he says that openly and then he goes and does it. So honestly, I, if we look at numbers, I think he's the GOAT. But I also don't like the GOAT debate because how can you define a GOAT? You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're forcing my hand, I will say yes. I think that Novak's peak is higher than the peak of Roger and the peak of Rafa. And I think that what he's achieving and the way he's achieving it is very impressive and all of that. But to be honest, comparing eras is tough. And also quantifying who, what is a GOAT is very difficult. I find that very difficult. Because if you look at each one of the three, you will see that the way they have impacted the sport is very unique. They've each done it in a very unique way. So it's a, t- it's a tough one for me, but if you force my hand, I would say that Novak is settling the GOAT debate. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Um, I just want to ask you about a, a, a couple more players who, f- for different reasons, will have lots of interest, lots of following, um, and lots of motivation themselves. Firstly in the men's and, and then perhaps in the women's. Um, Andy Murray, l- looking to do something that nobody in tennis has done and, and win three Olympic golds in a row. Um, whether or not he you know, achieves that, and, and by the sounds of what you've just said, you, you don't see him doing it. But, um, I mean, 
wonderful for the game to have Andy there as, as the defending champion as well. Absolutely. I think the fact that he managed to get himself in a position to be there is amazing. Sadly, he got Felix Ogiel-Yassim as a first-round opponent, which is a tough one. But Andy at the Olympics is also something special. I mean, even just for, for his teammates there, the fact that Liam Brody gets to be there with Andy Murray on the team, you know, the fact that his brother is there, uh, Jamie Murray, I, I just think it's special for, the, for Team GB to have Andy there, irrespective of even if he wins a round or not. I really hope he does well. But yeah, it's, it's just great that he was able to go again. And for the Japanese contingent, led by, you know, these huge superstars in Japan, Naomi Osaka and Kei Nishikori. I mean, for Naomi as well, given what she's been going through recently, very publicly, it's a, it's a big ask, isn't it, to front up um, on home soil in, in the same way that, you know, we've seen the likes of Michael Johnson do in, in the States or you know, Jessica Ennis in the UK. She, she's, she's a flag bearer. How do you think that's going to sit with her? I think irrespective of what happened recently, Naomi Osaka has shown she, she's a very, very, very tough woman. She's so tough. She, in general, every time I see Naomi show vulnerability, she always backs that up by being super strong. I remember when she first became number one, I was in a press conference and she was crying in Dubai because she had just lost and she was feeling very vulnerable. And then she went and won slams again. So she's, she's, she's very tough. I think she will look at the Olympics in a way where perhaps it will give her what she needs at the moment. I don't think she will take it as pressure. I think she knows that this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And I honestly expect good things from her. I, I, I have a lot of faith in Naomi and Jenner. She's a lot tougher than people give her credit for. Or maybe some do give her credit as well. I'm keen to see what she does. Do you think it can be a sort of a kickstart away from the tour that she actually needed? Something a little bit different that, that she can sort of use to get back properly into the game? I think it's great because it's different. You know what I mean? You know how the tour can be a grind. We travel the tour as well and, and it can get very repetitive and things like that. So I think this will also change the conversation around her because she's trying to get gold for her country. She's playing on home soil. I, it, it definitely changes the, the environment around her and... Um, Japanese media love her, they embrace her. I've, I've been in many press conferences because she, she gets asked in Japanese but responds in English, so I always stick around for the Japanese part. They're very respectful to her and she really respects them as well. She's been facing them since she was very young. They've given her attention even when she, wasn't, when she was barely top 100. So I think being home uh, will be good for her. Just finally, Reem, I, I, I'm interested to ask, and this is sort of in the context of coaching and we've all read what Stefanos Tsitsipas came out with recently about coaching on court and where do you sit on the Steph Tsitsipas coaching in the men's game debate? You know what? I don't hate it. I've, I've, I obviously cover WTA tennis a lot and I don't hate it and I always find it... Uh, I, I find that... It allows, when, you listen, when, when I listen to the on-court coaching, which obviously hasn't been happening during the pandemic, but before that, on the women's tour, it's been happening. You always find out something interesting. And I don't think that the biggest thing about tennis is, oh, I don't get help at all. Because you do get help. You get help the second before you step on the court and you get help again after you step off it. And at the end of the day, you have to execute. 
I think the more voices we hear on the tour, the more insight you can give to players, uh, to uh, spectators uh, about a game plan. I don't think that tactics in tennis are discussed enough, right? Because players always, when you, if you ask them about tactics, they're not going to tell you anything. They don't want to share their secrets, right? So this is the closest you can get to actually talk, hearing tactics from a player and a coach. It's during the on-court coaching. So I don't hate it, to be honest. I understand how someone like Nick Kyrgios said, no, like the essence of tennis is just like being on your own and stuff. If that's what you think tennis is about, then I understand why you wouldn't want it. But um, I, I like it. I don't mind it at all. And just, just finally, Reem, what are you kind of hoping that, you know, when we get to the end of the Olympic tennis competition, what, what, are, you, what are you hoping that the game might have got out of it? Um, I know it's a kind of pithy question, but um, is, is it more about the players who... Um, you know, who wouldn't necessarily be out there competing at the at the highest level, or or are we all looking very much at what Novak Djokovic has achieved by the end of by the end of the week or two? To be honest, I think we're lucky because we we kind of are looking at this in a way where someone is trying to do something that hasn't been done before by man, and it's amazing, and we're kind of all anticipating a historic moment. But at the same time, when you look at the draw, there are so many names, more than usual. Uh, of people who never would have imagined being there. So whether we look, like, for example, there's a first round between a Colombian and an Egyptian, which I think is amazing, right? Uh, we have young people like Mozetti, for example. He's there. We have someone who got a last-minute call-up like Liam Brody. Uh, we have an Aslan Karatsev who we first saw, like the whole world saw him early this year, and now he's suddenly become a household name, you know? We have an, a first round between Medvedev and Bublik. So I think we have the best of both worlds at the moment in the sense of we can see maybe some surprises from, from people we didn't expect to be there. But also we're waiting on something huge. So I'm curious. I'm curious to see how someone like, for example, uh, Herkash does after his run at Wimbledon. You know, is it going to be able to back it up or not? It's interesting. Tsitsipas, obviously, he's spoken how, how important the Olympics are for him coming from Greece and everything. I also am very curious to see the mixed doubles because I think we always see something special there. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that what we'll get out of it is maybe it's a bit of a breath of fresh air considering how things have been tough and how operating a, a whole tennis tour during a pandemic is something super tough. And this is not going to be easy either, but I think kind of the Olympic spirit is something we need at the moment. Thanks to Reem Abulail, and I'm sure we'll hear more from Reem soon. One man who has the Olympic spirit pulsing through his veins is former Chilean player Nicola Massu. These days, he's perhaps better known as the coach of US Open champion Dominic Team. But the former world number nine is also famous for striking gold in both the singles and the doubles at the 2004 Games in Athens. 17 years on, those memories still burn bright. I mean, every athlete to arrive to Olympic Games is a pleasure, honour to represent your country. I was in the first Olympic Games in my life, was in Sydney. It was an unbelievable experience because I, uh, I was with my flag in the open ceremony of Chile. It was a surprise for me because they told me like a few hours before. So then four years after in Athens, I won the two gold medals, the first one for the, in the history of my country. So it was amazing because when you are a kid, you always dream to, 
to do something in sports because you dedicate to this too many hours of your life. And then I arrived there with a chance because at that moment I was fighting to be top 10. Um, I mean, you know, in sports when you have confidence and you start to to do the things well and you believe in yourself, sometimes the things happen. And uh, yeah, I mean, was uh, I mean a dream to win one medal and to win like two gold medals is like crazy because at the moment in the history of tennis nobody won two gold medals in the same Olympic Games. So many people ask me why you, and also and also sometimes I said well. I was uh, always dreaming that moment. I think the I believe when when you work hard and and when you are prepared when the, the things arrive. Uh, I was at that moment. I was not scared to 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 fight every point. I was not scared because of the pressure because I kn I knew that. Uh, was a lot of people uh, looking at me from Chile. Everyone expect a lot of me when I was in the final, and we won the first one in doubles with Fernando, and it was amazing moment because we are, we are very good friends since I mean we were like 10 years old. It was amazing moment, and then the next day to win the singles final in less than 24 hours was uh, amazing. I mean, the best two weeks of my life in. Uh, in at the moment, and I think that it's going to be uh, nice for the for the young people in Chile that they believe that someone from Chile maybe they can do something in in, in sports because uh, I also born in Viña del Mar, a small a small country, a small city, and I try to do my best in all my career, and then uh, that this happened, and I, I it's a dream. So when you went back home, what was it? What was it like when you went back home after this moment? We arrived only after the U.S. Open, huh? because uh, after the Olympics, I went straight Athens to New York. So we played the U.S. Open, and then after that, we arrived, and it was crazy. I mean, all the people waiting for us in the airport. We took breakfast with the president and the palace of government. Um, I mean, people in the streets from uh, the airport and then to the press conference, like 15 minutes from there, people supporting us, uh, they stopped working to to go to the street to say hi to us. And I mean, people crying, people saying hey, thanks for everything. I mean, was we were like 23, 24 years old at that moment. Uh, and then we start to understand what feeling they have because what we do with a tennis racket and uh, follow a tennis ball I mean you can make big things and because the people in Chile it's the first time that they won like a gold medal and, and it's crazy and and um, today for example there are like kids that the fathers and the family all people said to the kids like look these guys Fernando Nicolas what they did like before and it's amazing because they now, I think more kids, they believe that they can do important things if they work hard. So, uh, we also born in Chile, a small country, we are far from everything and we did it. So, it's important for the mentality of the future of the kids. Well, you just gave me the chills because all I could picture was how inspiring that must be for you to be able to have such an impact on the kids and the people back, back at home. This is important because I think that the, 
there are a lot of kids that they follow us. For example, in Chile, the tennis is the second biggest sport after the soccer. And also in the last 10 years, soccer was very important in also good unbelievable results. So the people in Chile now, they think that everything is possible. I think they can compete with anybody. They can compete in, in all sports. Uh, the people in Chile also, they, they are taking care more about the athletes. They understand that they need support. They need uh, to have money to, to travel. They need uh, support, like everything. I mean, and I think that in the last 10 years or 15 years, uh, Chile changed a lot uh, in the support of the sport. And this is important for us because we are in this world for many, many years and we all wanted that the Chile have like uh, athletes and competing everywhere. And I think that the mentality is changing since a few years ago. And, uh, and if we help and I help to, to, to make this difference, uh, I'm happy because I, I know how difficult it is to, to, to travel, to, to, to make effort, to, to one day to, to make something that you dream from you are a kid. Nicolas Massou speaking there with Jill Krabus. With a number of big names not flying to Tokyo this year, the door of opportunity swings open perhaps for a number of players, one of whom is Spanish youngster Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. He's already enjoying a good year, having reached the quarter-final stage at both Roland Garros and Monte Carlo and the semi-finals in Estoril. But as he told Anne-Marie Batson, he's raring to go and hungry for more. I think I can do it better and better every tournament. I was playing very good. Uh, those tournaments that I uh, did are uh, very good results. But I think I, I did very well off the court to to practice to practicing harder every day, to improving myself every day. Then on, on the beginning of the year, I didn't start well. I had COVID. I then went to Australia. I twisted my ankle twice and I had that energy to, to improve my game, to play every tournament, every game. And the, the results came. I like that. You talked about going a step further. You talked about your team. And you've added the Spanish marathon legend Martin Fizz to your coaching team. How does someone ask a European and 1995 world marathon champion to join their team? Yeah, we're in the position when we started with him. And he came to, to Malaga at, to home. And I knew that those weeks will be tough because he ran so fast and... Uh, basically, we want to add him because uh, we want to know how to think uh, mentally and physically, how to how to during in 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 match that is long and, for example, in Roland Garros that I play for hours, and we wanted to know how he thinks when he running thirty kilometers and he has to run twenty kilometers left. Then he gave me a. Things uh, he gave he say he was saying to me things that it helped me when when I was on court. Because I can imagine if you're on court for a long period of time, you have to get your mind straight. How has Martin helped you with that with his career as a marathon runner? Well, um, when we were running, um, uh, when he came, and maybe we did ten kilometers, and and I was like a little bit tired, and I was asking him. What do you think uh, when you are running and, for example, you have to do 10 kilometers more? Because I was, I was tired at, uh, at that moment. 
he was saying to me, you know, uh, you did a lot of things in your life to, to be here in this moment. And you have to think that you did a lot of work uh, from the beginning of your, of your, that you started uh, playing that sport. And well, uh, think of your team that he's pushing you, your family, that they are not there, but they are pushing you from the other side and that things. And all that work has now started to pay off because, of course, at Roland Garros, you talked about reaching the quarterfinals, but you played four sets in the second round and two five-set wins in the third and fourth round. How on earth did you sum up the energy to play a quarterfinal? Yeah, when I play against Casper, for example, I, I play in the fifth set that was a tough match. When I was in the changeover, in my mind was Martin fifth. Uh, I was like, okay, doesn't matter what, I will give my I will give everything here. And doesn't matter if I'm cramping, if I'm tired, because what I want to do is to win, then I want to give my everything and to be in the next round. Then was a, a very good experience to me to for the next years. Well, how much would it mean to you to represent Spain at Tokyo 2020 Olympics? I'm so happy to be there. With I will for sure it will be a very good experience. I, I will have a lot of emotions there. I will play singles and doubles with Carreño. Then it will be great, and you know uh, I will enjoy it. And all these professional tennis wins that you've had over the last few months has meant more exposure and more visibility, particularly about your passion for animal welfare. How, how has that come along, your idea to uh, start up a new project called Adopt Us? Yeah, uh, we started that project after quarantine because I saw in the, in the news that in Spain, of course, we are in the first country that we have more abundance, like three... 300,000 per year. And after quarantine, um, I, I read in the news that was like 25% more uh, abundance. Then I was talking with my team to, to do something, to, to have more dogs or more visibility to, to adopt the dogs. And then we create the, the platform. It's calling adoptas.org. And from there, we want to, to have the shelters to, to have more visibility for the dogs and cats. And we are now creating to the foundation to, to the people can donate uh, for the shelters and to help them. That project is a long, a long career because, uh, you know, we, we don't want to, to change the minds. It, it will be impossible to change the minds in, in one year. Then it will be a maybe 30 years, 40 years. And how important is it to you to raise awareness to the younger generations about the importance of adopting animals instead of buying? I had that, that love of animals, I think, when I was a kid. And I want to help them. I don't know how, but, you know, I want to help them because I, in Spain, I saw a lot of animals abandoned uh, there in the, in the roads. Then I want to, to change the minds of people in Spain that to do not abandon, to, to adopting and, and don't shop and that things. Well, good luck to Alejandro with that project and to all the players going for gold, silver and bronze over the next week or so. 
Join me next week when we round up the action from Tokyo and look ahead to the US Open swing and events in Washington, Toronto, Cincinnati, and of course the final Grand Slam of the year, the US Open. Will Novak Djokovic by then still be on for the Golden Slam? All remains to be seen. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the tennis. Enjoy the tennis.